Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola, and I'm joined by Rania Kalik. Hey, Rania. Hey, Kevin. And it's good to be back speaking with everyone. Uh, we hope, though, that if you're doing anything on YouTube that you weren't purged this past week, right? Yeah. I, mean, I hope, I hope that if you weren't like a teacher trying to educate people on the right wing, that uh, your video informing people about the dangers of white supremacy didn't get accused of promoting white supremacy. <laughs> yeah, like our, our friend Max Blumenthal, one of his, a video that he did uh, a few years back with the Southern Poverty Law Center got purged from Facebook because he was like basically hounding and and uh, exposing a Holocaust denier in the video. <laughs> so let's set this up. <laughs> we want to talk about this at the top. YouTube had faced so much pressure from the LGBTQ community because there are. I don't think that's that. I don't know if that's entirely accurate because that's not what YouTube was responding to. YouTube was, wasn't responding specifically with the LGBT community. They were responding to pressure from elite media types who were angry about far right people on YouTube. Like, okay. uh, just to be clear here, that's how this started. This started with the guy from Vox. Carlos Maza. That's where I was headed. Who does these videos. So, yeah. Okay. So, I just want to know. I just don't, I don't, I think it's too generous to say that YouTube is responding to a community. That's fair. Let me just give a summary of what was reported as happening. And then we could talk about okay. our opinions. And Look how angry I am. I'm yelling. I'm like yelling at you about it. Yeah, you, you I'm like, God damn it, Kevin. <laughs> you got to set it how I was setting up the story. And I was actually headed towards that because I guess what I was confused <laughs> about is I've seen this person in social media complaining about Steven Crowder, who is this yeah. personality. He's a right-wing vlogger, or he's used the mm -hmm. YouTube platform and had great success at building a following. Um, and I saw the clip that was at issue. And so here I'm reading from the Rolling Stone coverage. I just think this is a, a, a nice paragraph summary of what was at issue. So... Um, YouTube issued a public response on Twitter to complaints from Carlos Maza, who is a YouTuber and also a host of the Vox series Strike Through. So he works for Vox. Last week, Maza posted a montage of clips of the right-wing vlogger Steven Crowder using racist and homophobic language to mock Maza, referring to him as a, quote, lispy, lispy queer, end quote, a little queer, that's another quote, and the gay fox sprite, that's another quote. In a series of tweets, Maza argued that Crowder had targeted him for harassment over the past few years and that he had encouraged his followers to harass Maza as well, saying that he had faced a wall of homophobic racist abuse on Instagram and Twitter. So that's just a basic thing, but I also want to tell you that I played, um, I went and watched this interview that was done by a CNN producer with Maza, where he is uh, told that this is what YouTube said in defense. Um, and you know, what Maza wanted was Crowder to be taken off of the platform of YouTube entirely, and YouTube decided not to do that. And instead, uh, they seem to be trying to roll out these policies that can be applied to all types of media across the board, um, this sort of censorship that they're going to be engaging in in order to manage people who are uh, accused of harassment, but also to try to prevent something before it even is um, complained about as harassment, it would seem. And Mazo was confronted with what they said, which was that at no point in this clip is Crowder really and citing his audience to go after and do something to Maza. He's basically just saying racist, homophobic stuff that he thinks is actually funny, but it's not. Well, basically, this guy Crowder is a right wing, he's a bad right wing comedian. That's very clear um, by what he's saying. Um, that said, like, I watched it too, and I have to say, like, while it's really, really mean and fucked up, and like, and a bit homophobic and a bit racist what he said it's kind of like free speech <laughs> and he's not inside he isn't he's not telling anybody to go do anything bad to carlos maza more importantly like carlos maza is a, a public figure 
Like I'm a public figure. People say really mean things about me. You know, like I get, I get harassment too. That doesn't mean I want, I'm not going to go sh- like damn, you know, like demanding that Sil- Silicon Valley companies uh, snuff out all this criticism and hatred of me. Uh, because at the end of the day, like who's going to get purged in that, in that attempt? I mean, it just, it doesn't, it just seems messed up. And this guy seems to kind of know what he's doing. Like he doesn't seem to care that independent journalists are being dragged down as well. I guess we can get to that part, but I just, I watched it and I just don't agree that we should be leaving it up to YouTube to purge criticism, mean, mean things people say about us. Well, I think the big issue for me is the identity politics aspect of it, where what happens if that becomes co-opted by powerful people in institutions and establishment places, which we've already seen. I mean, well, that's Hillary, what he is. No, no, that's I, what he is, by I, the way. Oh, I know, I but e- to an even Sorry. worse extent, because what he's saying yeah. is because he is a gay person that those people who are doing that are engaged in hate. And so their hate needs to be dealt with by YouTube. They are creating hostility on the platform. They're creators, but he's saying it's creators creating hostility against other creators and that should not be allowed by YouTube. But I would tell you, what if I was on the platform and what if we, what if we were saying something about Bill Crystal or some other neoconservative what if we were attacking their ideology or going at them and, and, and making mean jokes about them? I think we have before. What if we were doing that yeah. and we were using YouTube? And what if they heard us and made an appeal to YouTube that we were being mean and attacking their identity and they found some bucket that they could use to invoke well, and say that we needed to be taken down because we were being hostile to them well look look i actually i did a video once about how the u.s is an oligarchy and i like named some billionaires and basically said that billionaires like own the media so that you can you don't really hear criticism of them and that like they run the country and they actually have way more influence over government than actual like average voters do and i was accused by people like alexander reed ross and all that crowd they tried to accuse me of being an anti-semite it's kind of what they say to Corbin, like Corbin will talk about capitalism and like, you know, and like kleptocracy and like billionaires and the 1%. And then they try to call him um, anti-Semitic, even though he says, he says nothing about Jews. And in this case, in the video I made, the three billionaires I even pointed out actually weren't even Jewish, which is what was funny about it. The point is, is like that kind of stuff already does happen on different on a different scale, maybe not involving YouTube, but where people in positions of power do try and call other people, like do try and like use the identity stuff against people like us, against the smaller people who are just trying to expose their corruption. Um, and in the case of someone like Bill Crystal, I mean, there have been a lot of like warmonger types who have a lot of power who have made the case that the word neocon, like Max Boot says the word neocon is anti-Semitic. Or maybe I'm thinking of Jonathan Chait. It might be Jonathan Chait. You know, you've got people calling like what Ilhan, like, calling Ilhan Omar anti-Semitic over Israel, you actually have the pro-Israel campus groups using identity politics, using accusations of anti-Semitism that are false against pro-Palestine groups to try and have them shut down. And it oftentimes works. So like, we've already seen that happen. And if YouTube starts to play that game, we're just going to see the same thing play out there. And of course, during Hillary Clinton's campaign, we were all called sexist for pointing out how shitty her politics are. So, like, we don't have to even imagine what might happen. And not only is it already happening, but, like, it, 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 like we've seen it happen in other ways. So, like, I don't know. I honestly think when it comes to people, especially, like, this guy, Carlos Maza, maybe he is really upset hearing somebody say mean things about him. Um, I guess I would be upset, too. I, I do get upset when people say mean things about me. It happens all the time. However, what I also see is somebody from a powerful institution, from Vox, which is a massive media company that has partnerships with a lot of these social media companies, by the way, um, basically trying to get people purged from a platform where they had, they, I mean, Vox is not some like little guy. His, this guy's videos, Carlos's videos, get millions of views because they go on Vox's, uh, on Vox. They get millions of views. 
Like a lot of people watch him and see him in a way like you and I could never even dream of. Okay. So like, it's not like he's some small independent journalist who is like being harassed by the big guy. So this is like, what bothers me here is that what it looks like to me is it looks like people in positions at elite media spaces who want to act like they're all adversarial and independent when they're not are kind of like using this shit in a way to snuff out their competition from alternative media because that's who's getting dragged down by this shit. And it kind of reminds me of what CNN did to like my outlet yep. to in the now a few months ago, like CNN does this thing where like they try to, they basically like cable news was a dying industry uh, before Trump came along. And now Russiagate sort of like played, you know, is like, you know, is over almost sort of. At least it's not getting the same ratings it was. Um, and so, like, what you see happening now is, like, these companies are trying to, like, snuff out their competition from the alternative side. So they're constantly attacking outlets like mine and trying to get them taken offline. Or they're always attacking, like, Jordan Sheraton. <laughs> like, he's always getting attacked on YouTube by CNN, no less. Like, it's almost like they just can't handle the competition of actual alternative media um, and so they want to snuff it out and just have these big social media platforms only promote them. And that's one of the policies that YouTube sort of came up with out of thin air after this whole thing uh, was that they're now going to be promoting on their site authoritative sources. What does that mean? That means corporate media. So like now you're just going to see uh, CNN and, you know, NBC and Vox being promoted in your feed whether you subscribe to them or not. And so like, that's absurd to me because what happens when those networks lie, which happens all the time, you know? Anyway, I'm what? just like, I also can't take, the one last thing I want to say is I can't take all this concern from these elite media types who are so woke and care so much about this. I can't take it seriously when none of these people breathed a word of concern when my videos were taken offline. Like I'm a minority woman I'm like, I belong to the group that they supposedly care about being harassed online, and none of these people said shit. So, like, I just, it's completely disingenuous. The other issue here, too, is that you're giving the power to YouTube to do something that, one, I don't think in good faith they could ever do. I don't think any major mega conglomerate could ever do it. Uh, and, you know, they're owned by Google, right? So this is a... This is um, a, a thing that basically Google's going to be managing content. But then in bad faith, like again, like you say, there are all of these alliances with establishment media. So in that respect, too, they're not going to be able to do it. And they're trying to come up with something that appears as content neutral because that's what you're supposed to do when you censor content. You're supposed to have a policy that can be applied across the board. In order for them to do this, they would have to be able to assess an intent in order to actually manage this abuse, the sort of like hate. What they're claiming to be able to do, the road that they're going down, requires like an individual to watch these videos, to talk to this person, to figure out what's going on, to uh, the person who's accused of this offense, they need to have communications with this person they need to figure out what they're about and their agenda but there's really no interest and no reason why they're going to go to this trouble so they're just basically going to look at videos and what's in them and take down whatever videos have uh, a shared commonality with what they're censoring right so a few examples here are like there were people all over the world who saw their educational videos taken down. I've got an example in front of me here from a history teacher named Scott Alsup, who's based in Romania. He hosted archival footage of Nazi propaganda, and it was taken down. Uh, he told BuzzFeed, I'm a history teacher, not someone who promotes hatred. I share archive footage and study materials to help students learn about the past. Um, that's, there's one very clear example um, there's also uh, Right Wing Watch. Ever heard of Right Wing Watch? They cover the far right and yeah. alt right. Yeah, they're great. They're huge. They're a great resource. J Jared Holt uh, covered an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist. This guy Wiles, um, his last name, uh, yeah, Rick Wiles. Um, he claimed that YouTube was controlled by the synagogue of Satan in one of his own videos, and so. 
that video, they had a clip, Right Wing Watch had a clip of Rick Weil saying this, and their video was taken down. But also, here's what's incredible, Rick Weil's original video is actually still on the YouTube platform. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, what I, well, I was just going to say, like, Michael Tracy wrote a really, I know people love to hate him, but I think that he makes really good points sometimes. And he articulated it so well in a piece he wrote, I think, for The Spectator. Um, but what he was, what he was actually comparing this to was those people who in the 90s, like those parents groups who were freaking out about music lyrics um, and trying to get music lyrics, like music censored because they'd have bad words in them or say bad ideas in them, especially rap music. Do you remember there was like a crusade yeah, oh, no, against absolutely. rap music I in the 90s? I remember this as well. Uh, and it also yeah. also went even a step further as to like this might be, I mean, I don't know if he connects it to this, but it also got into the realm of these this, these songs, these lyrics might be making kids go crazy and shoot up their schools. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, There was, like, that whole thing, too, that was, like, there was no proof behind it. But they were, like, blaming Marilyn Manson for school shootings. Um, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying, where, like, there's, like, these big institutional... Maybe I think we were talking about it before the show, but there's these big institutional problems in, in our society. And then people really like to explain them away easily by blaming certain individuals. So homophobia becomes the fault, not of a country that's been one of the homophobe, most homophobic like, countries you know, in the world, not from a Republican party in Congress that is the most homophobic party in the world, like literally, um, not, like, not from like institutionalized policies and institutionalized ideas, but now suddenly it's the fault of these like YouTubers who have a lot of subscribers who are far right, you know, or right wing or whatever. Like, it comes down to that. Or like racism comes down to these people on YouTube. Um, or you just, you know, right wing, like this, this far right politics in general, as opposed to like a, you know, a symptom of broader institutional societal problems. And that, that's kind of what used to happen in the 90s. And it wasn't just with music. Like, I think the FCC was, isn't the FCC like relatively a new entity? Um, it like became like the FCC became charged with like uh, with like taking bad content off TV, um, and parents groups were like these like these like really powerful suburban parents were always using them to like try to keep the airwaves clean. Um, so it's like that's what these people are. I think that that was a really really good point. Like there was this like whole movement to get Howard Stern taken off the radio. Well, they added like, the parental advisory uh, sticker. That's actually a fairly new thing in music. It wasn't there until I think the early nineties. Well, like, yeah, so like, it's like, the, the, there's these, like, uh, these, these problems in society that are symptoms of like larger issues that they just want to be able to blame on something simple. And I think we're kind of going through a moment right now where like, there's some serious problems in our society and people are, have become much more aware of it because of the election of Donald Trump. And the way you see everybody trying to explain it away, especially people in elite media, people in the mainstream, people of a certain class who don't want to face the reality is you see them explaining away things that are bad in our society by like either, you know, becoming hysterical about Russia. It becomes like a McCarthyist wish hunt or by becoming like hysterical about trolls being funded by foreign governments that are destroying our society and creating havoc. And now we have to like have let the CIA stop it. Like this kind of mentality is also similar to like the woke stuff where these people are freaking out about racism and homophobia and like, and so their response to it is like a witch hunt. Like, and they don't care. They don't care about the innocent people. Like I, I haven't seen this guy, Carlos Maza, who provoked all this, say a word about the independent journalists who've been taken offline or about this like historical content that's being removed from YouTube. Has he said anything? I haven't seen him say a word about it. He's just pretending like it's not happening. And it's like, I guess it's like, okay to sacrifice all that to get rid of this one guy who is saying mean things about him. I haven't seen anything on that issue, and yet I see a bunch of headlines about how YouTube didn't go far enough. You know, even though they did do something to Crowder, even though I think uh, they did take some step as they took a step against a lot of other users, it's apparently not far enough. Um, and yet I'll provide one more example because I think this is crucially important. There's a British teacher, Richard Jones Nerzik, who had... Uh, all of his stuff, he had clips taken from his channel that were old documentaries on the rise of Nazism, and they now uh, carry warnings that users may find the material offensive, and then others were removed completely. 
And, you know, he's right. I agree with him. He's saying this is a form of Holocaust denial, essentially. The policy effectively is giving, it's actually giving far-right groups what they want by purging content that wakes people up to the threat that they pose to our society. So, in effect, YouTube's policy is making it worse for people like Carlos Maza. Dude, that's a really good point. I don't think it's, I don't know if anybody else has made that point, but that is like if they haven't, you should write it down. Because where are you going people. to go if you can't become informed? I mean, think of like book burning. You know, it's like it's that's like, what, yeah. it's like basically <laughs> this is like book burning. It's like basically destroying content so that people can't be exposed to content. But then, if you extinguish those ideas, where can people go to change their views? Uh, and this is why, like. <laughs> This is why, like, I always believe that I really do believe this. And even though you say it over and over again and people think that it means that you're catering to hate, I do think that more often than not, you're better off with more speech than less speech. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Carlos Maza has a platform. So if he thinks he's being attacked and he's being defamed or he's being whatever, Vox is there for him to defend himself and tell Steven Crowder every single day that he doesn't like what Steven Crowder is doing. Um, if that's the thing that yeah. he has to focus on, he can do that. And Vox would, would make money and benefit from doing it. His audience would back him up for standing up for himself on that platform. He, he can defend himself. You know, the people, you know, the, the transgender person uh, in the high school who walks down the hallway and gets bullied by people every day because they don't fit in, has no platform to defend themselves from being called, you know, a, a lispy queer or whatever they're going to be called in the hallway. But Carlos can defend himself from this hostility because he has a platform. And you know what's, you know what, I've, I it's absolutely right. And what this whole thing has illuminated for me is like, the people who are on the side of censorship have no tolerance for anyone who disagrees with them on that issue. Like none at all. Like, and that's what I see with the attacks on Glenn Greenwald. Like these people get so angry. Like if you don't agree that we should be censoring people, then you're, you're just as bad as they are. And end of story, there's no debate allowed. And that just shows you like, that really does show you the level of intolerance. Um, and so when that, it, it bothers me because then you see these far right figures online that are like the left is intolerant. And I'm like, well, you know what? This segment of the left is behaving in a really intolerant way, even towards people who are liberal and leftists who don't agree with them about censorship. I just don't know like where we got to this idea that people need to be protected from these views. Because to me, the only thing, this and, and this may seem like a very limited universe, and I know that the people like Carlos Maza, there are even friends of mine and colleagues that I've worked with who have a very different view than mine and would heavily disagree with what I'm about to say here. But I, I really think that the universe of content that deserves censorship is extremely limited to, say, like Milo Yiannopoulos standing up in front of a crowd and calling out somebody and telling people in that audience that that person happens to be transgender or that person is actually lesbian and that person was maybe closeted and isn't anymore now because they've been outed in front of an audience and Milo is 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 telling people that they need to, you know, tar and feather or go after this person. And when that happens, when you're releasing personal information, when you're turning the mob on an individual I think in my head, I'm okay if that gets censored, but that is a tiny, tiny universe of material that exists out there. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I'm just like, oh so we talked God, about this for... no, censorship is bad. I thought, I thought like we, I thought we were, I'm just like shocked we're even having this discussion. Oh my God. Well, I thought, I thought it was like a given that censorship is bad. Well, our first amendment is supposed to be pretty strong and a lot of people would claim to like believe and free speech, but apparently a lot of people on the left these days um, would like, and I sound, I, I'm going to say these words, and I feel like I could go to a conservative page and see this, and it's probably what's on Breitbart, but it's like, it seems like people want protection from speech.
It's like yes, they do. It's 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 instead of you yourself not reading it or not dealing with it or doing something in your world or space to fight back against injustice and instead of challenging structures instead of doing the thing because actually this is this is much harder to do right it's harder to change the world it's harder to fix the systems that are bringing about it's harder to end discrimination it's harder to win um you know, a right to same-sex marriage, or it's harder to win these sorts of things. Those are those are grassroots mobilizations that take a lot of time to produce the sort of results people want. But because you feel powerless, you go, okay, well, we're just going to get these Silicon Valley corporations to censor people. Yeah, yeah. So anyways... <sighs> With an exasperated sigh, let's move on to something we didn't get to a couple weeks ago. And we got a question from one of our patrons that we really wanted to take a little bit of time to answer because it was a good question. And it actually connects to what we just talked about with all the YouTube stuff somewhat. <laughs> so this is from Kieran, who said... Dear Adorables, and I'm including the I'm, I'm including the way we're addressed just because I love it. And oh, me too. Said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I work at two corporate media offices in Australia, where I speak in depth to security guards late in the evening. Over the course of three years, I have identified four security guards who have fairly deep beliefs in conspiracy theories of the David Ick variety, such as. Gold is the only valuable resource on Earth worth investing in as alien lizards from other planets mine it. 9-11 oh. was fake <laughs> as it was actually missiles that hit the World Trade Center and not planes. Hmm. Alex Jones is really a double agent working for the elites and Hillary Clinton is a lizard person. Well, um... <laughs> I, I actually buy the double agent thing with Alex Jones. But... I was going to say, I was sometimes I wonder, right? Because Alex Jones does this thing where he's so insane, but every time he drops something like legit, like, like a little nugget. And so there's people who don't want to believe in authority, but then they get sucked in by Alex Jones instead of like maybe thinking about like legitimate, like, yeah, we're, we are lied to. Alex Jones will be like, they lie us into war. And so people hear that and they're like, yeah, then they hear all the other shit he says and then they go down the rabbit hole. Well, that other stuff is really, <laughs> really wacky. So let me just continue. These guys generally yeah. are well-spoken, well-groomed, have regular hobbies, are in a long-term relationship with others, and are nice people who are professional in their work. So their beliefs shock me almost beyond belief. So I get what he's saying, that like these are people you work with in your daily lives and then suddenly you find out that they think, uh, you know... Something insane. Something absolutely insane. They yeah. think they can't drink tap water because it has fluoride and it comes from the Russians or something like that. And you're like, oh. Okay. <laughs> Which was a real thing so, like 40 or 50 years ago. Anyways, the question here is, have you ever encountered such people in your daily lives? Do you have any opinion on how seemingly normal uh, people can get to here? I, I've paraphrased so that you understand the question. I've never looked into it myself as I'm afraid that I will start buying into some of these, saying <laughs> I will buy some. So Kieran's saying I'd buy into some of these ideas and I'll start sounding crazy. Makes me worry that most of the need for accountability of the globe's most influential, powerful people, which have filtered through people like yourselves, will easily get funneled straight into the sewage tank. Um, so this trend, you know, of people who maybe start off as apathetic or uninformed then try to become informed start to think that they're learning about the way the world works and then get drawn into these different theories that are definitely really batshit but they've found a way that say that makes sense of what's going on around me yeah you know i think that there is so much skepticism about like authority against authority like or uh, towards authority which is good which is healthy and I think people, for the most part, no matter like what their politics are, people, even if they're not that informed, they get this sense that they're being lied to because they are. Like a lot of people get the sense they're being lied to. And there's a lot of evidence to for, like out there to, to come to the conclusion that you're being lied to. The problem is there's also these crazy conspiracy theories that then people come, 
become like, like really normal people. And I, I'll explain like an example of this I've come across, but like normal people become like, um, you know, susceptible to buying into because it's, it's, it's so, it's something that explains or like get, or like sort of confirms the, the feeling that they have, the sense that they have, which is a sense and instinct they have that they're being lied to is accurate. It's just, there's like, it's hard to find like accurate information because especially like in, in the U S I don't know, maybe Australia, it's the same way, but in the U S especially like we have a really, we have a lack of like critical thinking skills and of media literacy, which we've talked about on the show with Mickey Huff in the past, which is a great episode. People should go back and listen to, but so that makes it really easy for people to like, not be able to tell bullshit from not bullshit. Um, and a lot of the mainstream media is bullshit and like, they don't trust that authority. So they go to like these kooky conspiracists and conspiracy ideas and like one, like, okay, for example, like I, my sister, um, is a doctor and like one of the people she went to med school with, who's also a doctor, uh, is this guy who was married to this other guy who was a lawyer. So like, you've got a doctor and a lawyer, they're a gay couple, doctor and a lawyer, like really smart people, right? Really, really well-educated people. Um, and they had just adopted a couple kids and then like they were visiting my sister and they were really cool. I, you know, and I remember being there and like hanging out with them and they start talking about their kids getting vaccinated and the lawyer, they, they, they were like, yeah, we haven't gotten them vaccinated. And I was like, why? And the lawyer was like, well, I don't like, I believe vaccinations can make people sick. And like, and I'm just like, okay, like, what's the evidence? And he wasn't really making any sense. But then I kind of started to understand why he, like, bought into this. Like, I mean, I'm talking, like, vaccinated against, like, the measles. <laughs> like, yeah. you should get your kids vaccinated against the fucking measles, you guys. It's, like, really important that you do that. But at the same time, like, I can kind of understand, like, why there's such a belief in the anti-vaccination stuff. Because, like, the you have the, you know, you have this, like, pharmaceutical industry in the U.S. that, like, pushes its drugs on people um, and that in like people and that they're like definitely intertwined with the government. And that's like where his skepticism came from was that. And like, I can't tell him you're wrong about that. Like I can tell him you're wrong about the vaccination stuff, but like it was that and other things like the F um, what is it called? I'm sorry. I'm like blanking out the, uh, the CDC, like the CDC has all these contracts and is also intertwined with the pharmaceutical industry. And like, Stuff like that. And then he went into how he thinks they're withholding like drugs to cure cancer and like because cancer's too much of like a money making industry, which there might be some like level of truth to like we could totally come up with a cure for cancer, but we don't want to because we're too busy like making money off drugs for it. I don't know. The point is I can understand I, like I do get why some really, really, really smart people buy into this shit. But in the case of the anti-vaccination stuff, it's really dangerous. Like if, the, if there's people out there who believe there's like lizard people, it's like whatever, you know? Or there was like a few crazy conspiracy theories that the person who wrote it mentioned. But then there's some really dangerous ones, like the anti-vaccination thing. And like, that is so dangerous because vaccinations are something that people need or that, that like a certain percentage of the population needs to have in order like to make sure nobody gets polio, for example. Um, so that there's that, but then there's also the issue of like, um, like the whole word conspiracy theory in general, I know has like a history of being, the whole, the word has a history of being conceptualized by, is it the CIA? Y yeah, I think so. Like there's like, the thing is, is like there, like there are conspiracies. Like that's the thing is like people just believe in the wrong ones. Like there is a conspiracy in a way, like by like, by like, uh, for example, like billionaires to steal money from the rest of us. Like that's like really does happen. You know what I mean? And the people get the sense that something fucked up is going on. And so they end up buying into like the wrong idea, you know, the wrong conspiracies, if that makes sense. Yeah. I yeah. That's my take on it. Well, I think that they're, I mean like, well, let me give you a conspiracy theory that I can't prove, but I know respectable people who believe it and and it sounds insane and crazy but it's one that even though you can't go out and prove it right now it should be a starting point for journalism and exploration to figure out the truth and that one would be that as far as what happened with the Russiagate scandal 
there wasn't really much Russian hacking at all. Um, the extent of Russian interference was so minimal. And in fact, it was people like John Brennan within the CIA who decided that uh, because they wanted to take down Donald Trump that they needed to uh, orchestrate a sort of counterintelligence operation uh, to bring him down and they believed they could do it and get away with it uh, because Hillary Clinton was going to be elected president. So it wouldn't be a bad thing to use the tools available. Now, I can't prove that. I mean, I'm, I'm taking that to like the farthest degree. I'm telling you that um, John Brennan within the CIA was using all kinds of tools. Um, Barack Obama maybe had no clue whatsoever what was going on, wasn't in on it. Um, and there were just a faction of people that were willing to do whatever it took to make sure Hillary could win. Now, uh, that's not Hillary Clinton as a lizard person. Um, that's not Hillary Clinton um, is like a representative of the alien people uh, sent here to uh, mine more gold or something like that. But it's it's not provable. It's a theory. It's a basis. It's based on a lot of things that I've reported. It's based on people I've talked to. Uh, but it's a conspiracy theory. Um, does that make me a wacky nut? No, because. I'm saying that out loud as speculation and talking about things that, that shock me that I don't understand, and I'm trying to make sense of it. So what I'm saying is that I think it's really easy to go after people who have conspiracy theories and laugh at them, and I think they're funny. I mean, I get stuff from people all the time that are kind of kooky. One of the, my favorite ones was when I got an email from someone who was warning me of these uh, bioweapons that can be inserted in you called uh, nanomorgellons. I don't know if you've ever seen them. <laughs> They're like, just like- That shit. word is funny. I know, it's a great, it's a, I love it. It's a great thing. It's sort of this thing of like, they're like bio bugs kind of thing that can like uh, sting <laughs> and like burrow under your skin and they like target- Sounds your, really scary. Your, your neuro, I mean, if it existed, it would be frightening as hell, and I think we would need to yeah. really do something about it. Um, <laughs> right. But and, and the suggestion is that it's like bad made, and I don't know if it means that like they're like controlling people with these, or like the government strike trying to like colonize people through these biochips. I don't know, but but like I don't really know what to do with a person who believes that, but. My guess is that at some point, the the breakdown in the mind that happened that led somebody to think this way came from seeing what the government was doing in their daily lives and no longer believing that they could trust what their government was doing, that they could no longer believe that the government stood up for them, that the government is in fact against them and that they need to be afraid of what the government can do to people because they're, they're not about freedom anymore. They're about taking freedom yeah. away from people. Uh, and so that's where you get things like, I, I think that's why you have some, well, Oh, sorry. Well, so I, I was just going to add that. Say... Like, that's where you get things like, Oh, they engage in electromagnetic torture or you have the people who believe that, um, there, there's the talk I've, we've judged about on the show before, but they believe that there are like black helicopters that, are sent out and fly around your home and circle you. Um, there's this whole or thing like of the like chemtrails. There's this the whole thing of like gangs. Have you heard of gang stalking? Um, no. Where it's this, this is a whole thing where they believe that like there are like whole squads of people from the government that are just um, basically engaged in like microaggressions and other forms of stuff like targeted. And I'm not talking. This goes beyond, like, it's not like there's an FBI agent and you're the target of a co-intel program. I mean, like, they believe that there's, like, a force of people that are finding w ways in your life to make you miserable, and it's all just to, like, break you down. Wow, that's pretty dramatic. <laughs> I mean, it reminds me, it kind of reminds me, there was a one time where uh, this guy, I think that was a really good explanation, by the way, of, like, the sentiment behind conspiracies, but... I remember I was giving a talk with Abby Martin and Max Blumenthal. Uh, it was, I think, in Montreal. It was a few years ago. It was on Palestine. 
And so like during the Q&A, this guy comes up to the microphone and he's like, this question has nothing to do with Palestine, by the way. And he was like, hey, like, you know, I heard some people talking about this. I wanted to know what you thought about it. He was, he was like, I heard that like 9-11 was actually done by the Israelis and they had actually like nuked the Twin Towers. <laughs> and we all just like looked at each other like, what the fuck? And then Abby finally, like after like a few seconds of silence, she goes, she responds, where is the mushroom cloud, dude? <laughs> like, like <laughs> I mean, she like took it. She like took what he said. She's like, okay, like she thought about it for a second. Like I'm sitting there thinking, like, what the fuck did this guy just say? And then Abby actually had the perfect response. She was like, she like actually took it. She was like, okay, let's say that it, even if what you're saying is true, then where was the mushroom cloud from the nuke? Was well, it he was? He asked. He like she's like, where was the mushroom cloud? And the guy was like, the guy was like, uh. What? What do you mean? And she was like, from the nuke, where was the mushroom cloud? And he was like, good point. And then that was like the end of it. <laughs> and we, I mean, that was like a really big, uh, like it was nuked. I mean, I, I hadn't heard that one before. I've heard the, like, I mean, I've heard people say like, oh, the Israelis did it and like shit like that. But not that it was nuked. Also, I heard one guy one time say that it was a hologram. 9-11 was a hologram and I was I don't even know like I'm just like but there's like actual people who died <laughs> like I don't know how you came to that conclusion but I think the skepticism I mean there is like a lot of skepticism from people about 9-11 I hear from like I even like hear from really serious people who I won't say out loud but like sometimes I'm always surprised because I'm like it'll be like a liberal like a good liberal will be like oh by the way 9-11 was totally an inside job and I'm like what like, I'm always really surprised to hear that. But the thing about 9-11 that throws me is, like, is like I think there definitely are questions about 9-11 in terms of, like, we don't talk about the history that led up to it. You know, we've talked about that on the show before. Like, you, there was a conspiracy, like, where the U.S., like, gave weapons to a bunch of extremist religious nutjobs who happened to be Muslim. And then those people formed Al-Qaeda and, like, years later attacked New York. Um, and I think that's like a huge scandal, but like the whole 9-11 was an inside job thing ends up distracting people from that. Like no one talks about what I think is an even bigger scandal, which is like, you know, and then there are like questions about like the Bush administration didn't take intelligence seriously and stuff. But like, I think the fact that like the U.S. has repeatedly armed, uh, either armed Al-Qaeda directly or like given weapons to groups that ended up giving their weapons to Al-Qaeda is like a huge conspiracy and a scandal that doesn't get talked about and it pisses me off. Oh. So like, it's just, it annoys me sometimes. So I'm like, why don't you guys who believe in conspiracy theories, like focus on that. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a real conspiracy. Well, and I think, so, so you have like the Saudi Arabia angle where you have people who were in the U.S. who actually get put on planes and, and, and shipped out very quickly so that they don't get stuck in the U.S. while... Uh, there's a lockdown afterwards as the government responding. And, you know, that definitely suggests something like there's awareness among Bush people that there, there there's, there's aspects here that need to be covered up. Like people are going to know we were working closely with some of these people who are unsavory individuals. And, and mm -hmm. that points to some kind of a level of conspiracy, which we know like the 28 pages, which they fought very, very hard to keep people from seeing the contents of, and there's still some parts that um, are, are in there about what the Saudi Arabian regime knew um, related mm -hmm. to the hijackers. And so, so, but that, and that speaks to conspiracy. That's something. Um, but again, yeah. I th but I, I think that like, it, it is fascinating. What you're getting to here is that like, there are explanations that touch upon conspiracy and then people in their minds somehow say, that's not actually enough. I got to take it a step further it actually goes yeah. even deeper. It's it's not just that. Like it's it's even worse. And um, it was a hologram. And and to me, it's it's kind of like this thing where I've noticed that like there are a lot of people who read my work who do this, where I feel like they are coming up with these phantom nightmarish realities that they feel they have to warn against um they mm -hmm. they make these 
conclusions about the intentions of officials. They make claims about things that they think were done. And there's there's no basis. And my answer to them is usually, well, why do we have to go to there? Why don't we just stay where we're at? Like what I'm talking about right now, if I'm, you know, let's say we're talking about the war on whistleblowers or we're talking about surveillance or we're talking about something else. It was like that should that alone should like really freak people out. Like that's not right. Let, that's, like, that's a, like, that's enough to like, so we don't need to take yeah. it to the next step where you can't prove facts. And then now everything sounds insane. Because it's actually already insane when you just consider... Right. Like, I watched a hearing this past week. We don't need to get into it, but to end my example here, I watched a hearing about facial recognition technology and how people are adopting it throughout the police departments and the TSA and everywhere. And, you know, you watch that and tell me that you aren't freaked out. I mean, like... like, Right. There's there's insanity there. Now, to jump and say that, like, all that stuff's going on and there's lizard people, I mean... Gosh, I, it's amazing to me that like people haven't dug bunkers and aren't just living there, hopefully wishing that the world just collapses on itself so that they can rise out of their bunker and live in isolation and uh, free from all the threats of the world. I mean, it's just like, I don't know what I would do. If I believe that, I would I would not be able to function like a person. And, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe some of these people are just mentally ill. I don't know. I mean, knowing the reality about the world as I do already makes life more difficult to deal with, in my opinion. Like it does. Like I, I really, sometimes I feel like maybe some of the people who listen to our show can relate, but sometimes I feel like I'm awake and everyone else is asleep. I know that, that, that sounds like, I feel like I'm a God. Let me rephrase that. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm walking among people who like, haven't learned the truth about the world yet. Like seriously, they live in a bubble, especially when I visit the U S like, I really get this sense that, like, I have to, like, almost change my personality just to, like, feel normal around people um, because they don't understand what's happening in the world. Like, and then I don't like it just do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I, I feel like I also let's just take the YouTube thing. Before we did the show, I was reading up on articles and I was getting a better sense of what had happened because I only knew the headlines and some of the things that Max had shared and uh, a few things I saw Glenn Greenwald tweet. And I'm reading through this and I was like, oh gosh, I am not fit for this world right now. I am going to have a viewpoint about this that everyone who I typically associate with does not have. This is not Mm -hmm. okay. Like what? I am going to say something. And then I'm going to have to defend it. And then I'm going to get tired of defending it. And then I'm going to just like <laughs> try to like panic and make it go away. But people aren't going to go away because that's not how social media works. So unless I can get YouTube or Facebook to censor it for me, I'm going to be shit out of luck. So what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I, it can feel really isolating to be in that position. Like, and that's how I, I think that both of us often feel that way. Like, luckily, we're, we both kind of usually almost always see things the same way. And I think it's because we we share, like, a similar worldview and understanding of the world. And obviously, our politics are the same. But, like, it's kind of rare, like, among the left. I feel like we're even marginal among the people that we share, like, political views with. Because especially when it comes to the identity politics stuff, and then also the war stuff, like the regime change stuff. Then this now too, it's like the circle of people that like get it, gets smaller and smaller <laughs> and it scares the fuck out of me. Like it's really, really isolating. Right. It really is. Cause you don't know who's going to have <sighs> your back. And then you also don't know, like, is there something I have to sacrifice as far as principles in order to win people over, but then I don't actually think that like that's going to change anybody's opinion. So it's not worth it. Like in my mind, as I go through, like okay, if I changed what I was doing, if I made apologies, you know, I'm I'm speaking in very generic terms. I'm not saying there's anything specific in my head right now. But it's like if I change mm-hmm. something that I was doing to try to appeal to people, would that really bring anybody over? I mean, there's there's a lot of clicks, and there's people who have their established groups and sex and factions and it's like would would they come over and acknowledge some of the stuff that we're doing i just don't really think it would make that much of a difference so uh 
anyways. Neither do I. We, I don't, I agree with that, actually. We want to end the show by talking about a show. So now is the time, if you don't want any spoilers from the last and final season of Veep, to turn off the Unauthorized Disclosure podcast. But, you know, again, uh, we talk about a lot of heavy stuff, a lot of intense, even emotional stuff throughout our shows. Uh, we wanted to end the show here on a more loose, lighter note, even though this bears relevance to politics because of the nature of the show. So uh, we'll shut up for like five or ten seconds, and then we'll come back and talk about Veep for a few minutes. All right, so Ronnie, you finally got a chance to watch the finale of Veep. What did you think? So I thought it was really good. Um, I personally, I love the writing. I love the jokes. I love the dialogue. It always makes me laugh so much, especially the dirty mouth on the main character, uh, Selena. I like. I just like the way she talks. I imagine that's probably what a lot of politicians sound like behind closed doors. Maybe not as witty, but as nasty. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> And anyways, I thought it was I thought it was really great. I thought it kind of showed like the ruthlessness of people who want power. Um, I, and the and also like just like how phony the media is um, and how like doofuses who are like tools get elevated. <laughs> like Dan. <laughs> like that. Yeah, like Dan, like total doofus who's just the total tool who like accidentally stumbles upon like a breaking news story every once in a while, <laughs> but mostly doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He gets elevated to the point where like, it's like, he starts off this guy, the show starts off as like, well, I think her press um, person. Yeah. In the beginning when the show opens, he's her press person and he stays her press person, but he on and off moves between that and the journalism. And then eventually he ends up like with his own show at Buzzfeed. Oh no, this is Mike. That's he, like, Mike. Oh, yeah, no, no, Dan's different. Dan's smarter. Mike is the doofus. Um, yeah. No, no, I'm talking about Mike the redhead. And then, like, he ends up being, like, a, a lead anchor uh, <laughs> on CBS. <laughs> and then Dan, Dan is just, like, a womanizing creep. There's so many like him, like, just like him. But maybe they eventually get married and have kids but still are womanizing creeps. Um, in his case, he stays single. But, and, yeah, he just kind of falls up as well. But I like his ending. But I'm sure he'll find another job. But he's like he's like a swamp monster, that guy. I like what they did he with will just Jonah. Like, yeah, and then Jonah's just like this idiot who's like a hateful human being who just like stumbles his way up, you know, to being vice president. Like, it's just so funny. Um, and I think that you have a lot to say about it, especially what you were saying about like how it didn't get that much attention in the media, probably because it shat on elites so much, which it did. Yeah, well, <laughs> looks so bad. So I like this guy a lot who did the show. His name's Armando Iannucci. If you really like Veep, Rania, I recommend that you go watch something called In the Loop. I don't know if you've ever seen Is that on HBO as well? No, it's a movie that was put out. Um, I think it might still be. It was on Netflix for a time. Um, In I the Loop. Okay. I don't, but, but that was his take on... Uh, the Iraq war and what led up to it. Oh. And it's, it takes place in Britain. So it's a UK perspective of how these people were duping each other to go to war. And it, it, it kind of like fits in. It has the same kind of dialogue. It's, it's dirty, it's nasty. Um, and everybody's at each other's throats and there's doofuses. And then there's people who will do anything to get power. Um, it's really <laughs> good. Um, I liked it. I was not a huge fan, and I'll just say this, and then we'll get back to Veep specifically. I was not a huge fan of the death of Stalin. I don't know why. I don't know that it has anything to do with Russophobia or anything. I just felt like it didn't hit for me. Um, it was, uh, But it was supposed to be along those same lines with a lot of the same characters um, doing the kinds of things where they're craven. I mean, he's he's definitely got a style down for. Oh, how... this guy was. Oh, this guy wrote. This guy directed that as well. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely got oh, okay, a okay. style down for how he does his satire, um, and mm -hmm. it, it has a very. You can see common things between the different like shows that I'm mentioning here. So Veep for me, like I always said to myself when I when I was watching this show and this was before Donald Trump actually. I thought that 
Washington, D.C. has to be some combination of either uh, some combination of House of Cards and Veep. And we can debate yeah. and we can debate like exactly like whether it's 60, 40 or 50, 50 or 70, 30 percent. I don't really know for sure. But, you know, the more that I like think about it in my head, I actually think that like House of Cards is what's fantasy. It's. It's yeah. it's it's more veep really. Like when you really get down to it, like there's there's House of Cards is too clean. House of Cards mm -hmm. just everything all falls in place for these characters that are trying to move these people and make everyone fit into what they want. Veep is messy and I'm, that's what I love about the 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 last season and then even like the finale episode with the brokered convention. It's like Everything is just all over the place. It's madness. It is total madness. <laughs> well, what I what I liked about what they did, especially, is like you notice that, I mean, the, when the thing starts, like Selena Myers part is part of a Democratic administration that was made clear at some point. Um, but it's like the way they end it. The convention is a. It's a, they don't specify it's a, if it's a Republican or Democratic convention, and it's almost like they're mocking like a mix of both. Yeah. And that's why you can have someone like Jonah Ryan and that anti-gay guy with like women who are like feminist with like that feminist black lady who was running. Well, what I took from it is almost, Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. I noticed. Well, so like what I took from it is that I think it actually still is the Democratic Party. And I think this is the way of the director saying that, like, it doesn't matter which party, either party is going to make craven decisions so that they can hold on to power. Um, or so that they can be appealing. Well, don't you think? Because, yeah, because isn't the, maybe, but... But isn't the, like, hold on, isn't the judgment, though, because cause the whole issue is, and again, we're in the section of our show where we can talk very openly about what happens, and, and if you didn't want to hear this, you shouldn't be listening, uh, so I don't want to hear about people being upset because they heard a spoiler. So the whole thing is that, like, there's this attack, right? There's this terrorism attack, right? And now Jonah is somehow comically correct in what he's been saying about how Islam is bringing math. Islam is bringing Islamic math to America. <laughs> right. Because the, the numerals that the, the math conspiracy. are Arabic, which sounds because that whole thing sounds so ridiculous and stupid before you get that terrorism attack. And then everything like falls into place and to where he's like able to exploit it. The terrorist was a math teacher. Yeah. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> that was so funny. I mean, the reason I was saying it seemed like a mix, like where it mocked both parties is the things that, that um, there was that one guy who was like extremely anti-gay. Okay. Uh, that wouldn't be a real, that, that wouldn't be realistic in the Democratic Party today. Like, the, do you know who I'm talking about? The yeah, one candidate yeah. who was like that, that totally gay guy who was the gay guy who was a homophobe, <laughs> um, who was like uh, from the South. Like that would not be acceptable in the Democratic Party today. It just wouldn't. Um, and then some of the things Jonah Ryan was saying, like, we're just so Republican, like so far right Republican that you just wouldn't have a Democratic candidate talking like that. And that's why it seemed like it was more. And that's why that's why I thought it was kind of funny because they never specified whether it was the Republican or Democratic convention, because in a way they were using it to mock like our whole political system. But also it does, it is a commentary on the fact that they are all kind of the same at the end of the day. There's yeah. a bunch of ruthless, power-hungry people who um, will do anything to gain power. Like, too, like at the end of the day, her presidency like ends up repealing gay marriage. <laughs> like her, and then at the end, like it like fast forward. It was so funny. It fast forwards into the future for her yeah. funeral, and then it's overshadowed by the death of Tom Hanks. Oh my god! Which is so perfect because obviously we would. I mean, it's one. She never got the like. She did all this stuff. She gave up everything in order for people to like. It's it's so dark. It's and I love it. It's brilliant because it's like. <laughs> She gave up everything, every little thing, you know, she Principal. Was, even, she was, but she was even mean to her like daughter, right? Like she's, she's doing oh, yeah. like Dick Cheney type things to her lesbian daughter. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and it didn't pay off. Like she still doesn't get the credit. Like even after death, like she still doesn't get the credit for 
it. I mean, she's anything. Sell, she even sell, uh, she even sells out Gary right to uh, the FBI. Um, isn't and he's the only one who cares that she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it was brilliant. Like I really, really like. I, I'm actually gonna miss that show. I mean, it was just like always made me laugh, and it was so funny. And it really is how I imagine like the political class in DC to behave like, except for maybe um, they're not as funny. But I also, well, no, for uh, sure they're not as funny. I also applaud them for going forward with another season because there was, we were at a, I don't know if you realize this, but we were at a, a, a juncture where they could have just canceled the show um, yeah. and never given it a, a proper ending because, oh, well, first off, Julia Lewis-Dreyfus, the main character, I believe she had cancer. Um, she had she, breast cancer, she, yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. And, um, and, um, and she's fabulous in this last uh, season. So, uh, she is someone who's gotten like prettier with age. Yeah. <laughs> um, she really has. I mean, she's like amazing. Like she looks amazing. She looks phenomenal. Like, but they could like better looking than most. They could have looked at the Trump administration and said, nope. How are we going to yep. compete with that? How are we going to make a show? And I think they took it as a challenge and they, they largely like lived up to it because it went like, I could feel it as I was watching the show. I was like, this is bananas. Like this is the most, like somehow you've managed to go even further than what Trump would do. And like, sometimes maybe it was iffy about whether it had like caught up, but like you actually, the writing like actually was very good at not just not just doing the lazy thing that Saturday Night Live does for their sketches, which is just lift real things from Donald Trump, write it out, and be like, "All right, we did satire." It's like, yeah, that's no, pretty you, much what they do. At it's this like, point. no, you didn't. You're, you're, you're not. You're not even being creative. Like that's what passes for. And also, I love Veep because it's the brand of political satire that I think actually has teeth. And again, here's, yeah. the, here's the point I'll end in, which I think is a strong point. And it also justifies us talking about the show um, on our podcast, which is it doesn't apologize to power. It doesn't invite people who are in power to participate in the jokes. I don't really like what Saturday Night Live does anymore because all the people that are ever targeted get invited on the shows later to be part of the jokes. Yep. And it takes yeah. all yeah. the teeth out of everything that you've just done. Even if you do... Like even if you do a really strong set uh, sketch that that really emasculates or tears apart a person, like the Sean Spicer thing, which I really loved, it's like it doesn't take long. In like a month or two, that person, and I don't really know if this ever happened, but usually the trajectory now is that Sean Spicer gets invited on the show to be part yep. of a sketch with the person who impersonated Sean Spicer. So now it's no longer funny and you've just destroyed everything that you built. And it's like, I love Veep because it's unapologetic about everything it's saying about our institutions and nobody is asked to be a part of it. That's no, I absolutely agree with you. And like one of the things I really love that's just like coming to mind now um, is just the way it like mocks our whole society is how she gets worried because she accidentally admitted to like committing a war crime by like drone striking a wedding. <laughs> um, and so like, then she's, there's like the ICC is out for her and like, there's like an arrest warrant out for her internationally. And she like sneaks out of Europe and back to the U S afraid it's going to hurt her poll numbers, but everyone likes her even more. Cause like war crimes actually make you more likable. if You're a president. And then, but, but even better is she gets, she does an interview about it and, it turns out the drone strike also killed an elephant. Um, and so then that's what people were upset about. It's <laughs> like the animal rights people were upset about the elephant being killed. And it was, and then she was like, oh, like that was, I mean, it was just so, like such a perfect reflection of, a, of the American electorate. That's how like, it, it works. really was. That's also how the media yeah. works. Cause the media picks up on these things. Like the media tells voters <laughs> what to care about, right? Like if you're, right. if you're, if you're thinking about what becomes an issue and not an issue, it doesn't just happen that voters don't care about war crimes or we shouldn't just presume that like most people don't care. The media does not care about the war crimes. Like the media Well, not only does the media not care, the media portrays them in a positive light. Like yeah. they're strong. 
Right. It makes us strong. So, <laughs> like, I mean, in the end, that's, that's what I have to say about it. And like I w- to, to my last comment will be, I watched this clip on CNN where they were talking about how we were in this end of an era and there was Game of Thrones that was ending. There was V and there was Big Bang Theory. And they were capturing this sort of like end of these really long running TV shows. And they had on an entertainment reporter to just gab and say nonsense, but say something to fill airtime about these television shows. And they spent some time on Big Bang Theory and then they get to Veep and they said like next to nothing. And then they went and spent a bunch of time speculating on what would happen in the finale, the series finale of Game of Thrones. And I was like, well, doesn't that just really show that like the people at CNN, they can't understand this show. Like it's about them. Like the people who are in this show are their friends, are on their shows. They rub elbows with them in green rooms. They think positively Mm -hmm. about them. And it's like the people who look like assholes and nincompoops on Veep are actually the people that you enjoy going out to bars with after you're done working. So you can't like this show. Exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's why you didn't hear much about it. Like there was actually, there used to be more of a fondness of Veep uh, before, but I think that this season it got very like derogatory about the media and the media like started just, and also the, just the media and the political class are so intertwined at this point, not just the political classes, like the media and like the government, like every other spokesperson on the media or pundit is like former CIA or former FBI or former national security advisor. I mean, it's, it's kind of insane. Do you know so why I think that is though? Is- I think, I think that was because Donald Trump was elected and it's, yeah. and it's like, you know, as your creator, you had to turn it back on them and say, okay, like, well, if that can happen, then this is what can happen next. It's cause every, cause everything right. was always a comic depiction of how much more low we could go in our politics. Exactly. <laughs> and on that note, I think we were out of, we were out of time. I'm really glad we got to have a little discussion about Veep. I'm going to miss it. Um, <laughs> but we will be back next week. 